Hey everybody, welcome to the Smy Street Church Weekly Podcast. Pastor Chad is speaking today. You know, no matter your background, your age, or your story, we believe that you matter and that there is a place for you in the SSC family. So why not join in? Head to our website, ssc.church, click the I'm New button, and as we listen together, we hope that you'll be inspired to follow Jesus. So let's head on in. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, We've been doing something the last few weeks. Starting in January, we started a a reading plan. We've been reading a number of passages that center around the theme of prayer. Uh, And so if you've not been reading with us, I'd invite you to join us or check the website, ssc.church slash reading. If you're uh, joining us online, you could cheat and look at it now. But if you're in the building, you can get a paper copy of this reading plan. We still have it if you've not been doing that. I would say... In about a week and a half's time, we're going to start a new one. We're going to be reading through the book of Hebrews in a new series. Uh, If you want to get a sneak peek at that, that's not online yet, but we do have copies in the foyer. If you might not be here next week, you can grab one to get ahead and ready for that. But I was reading in in our reading plan centered around prayer this week, and on Wednesday, a particular, well, the passage of the day really kind of struck me, and it's a passage Actually, I've read the whole passage that we read on Wednesday many times. I've spoken from it. I've alluded to it. It's a passage I'm very familiar with. But for the first time, we read uh, from James 5, verses 13 to 18. Um, Normally, most of my attention goes to the section 16, 17, 18, uh, or 15, 16. My math's off this morning. But verse 13 really grabbed my attention in a way I don't think it ever had before. And actually, we're going to put it on the screen. I'm going to read it to you this morning. It said, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Now, over the past several weeks, as I mentioned, we've been talking about prayer. And Pastor Werner kicked us off at the beginning of January saying that prayer is about having a connected intimate, personal relationship with our heavenly Abba, the one who expresses fatherhood in a perfect, complete way that is unlike anything any of our parents can give to us, to the the fullest and most beautiful degree of what that relationship can be. And there's this unencumbered sense in which we can come and present to God both our needs and our joys, our wants, our concerns, our sorrows. And so, you know, you can come and pray to God with songs of praise and express prayer and rejoicing and thankfulness, but also in grief and loss. But what really struck me about this verse was actually the first section of it. It says, anyone among you in trouble, let them pray. And what really grabbed me was this. There seems like there's a real, a very real connection between being in trouble and a preparedness to pray. Have you ever noticed that when a crisis arises, finding a motivation to cry out to God is not that hard? And the Bible affirms this. You know, if you're in trouble, this should be your response. It should be to pray. When we experience our health being stripped away, we remember our need of God and we want to pray. When we see our wealth stripped away, or we are dealing with financial crises, it's not hard to cry out to God and look in those moments. 
And this is the better, and I'm going to just say this, if you're in trouble, this is the better reaction than other things we can do. Uh, we could choose to worry. That's another option. Let him who's in trouble worry. I remember my Sunday school teacher, uh, Linda Lewis, back I had her years and years ago. She taught me Sunday school upstairs here at one point. Some of you would know who she is. Many of you would not. She taught me this saying that stuck with me. And if you tell like a middle school, high schooler, and they remember something in their 40s, you've done something successful as a teacher. And she said this to me. One phrase stuck with me. Worries like a rocking chair. It keeps you busy and gets you nowhere. Tuck that one away. But the response should be to pray. But here's the thing that kind of where my mind was going, which is kind of like the divergent piece of it, which is where I want to go to today. We all know that it's not that difficult to feel the desire to pray when we're going through trouble. Someone said there will always be prayer in schools as long as there's exams. Oh, Lord, what is this? Help me out. But what happens after the crisis? What happens when God shows up and we get through Maybe it's just me, but I find sometimes that, how would I put it, that eager appetite to seek after God when the crisis abets, I feel a little more comfortable in my life and I, it can be easy to see that desire for God wane. I don't think it's just me because there's actually a story in the Gospels where Jesus actually met these 10 people. You might have heard this story before, but if not, just humor me. Then these 10 people, they had a skin condition called leprosy and they came to Jesus and they heard that he had the power to heal people and he started, they started yelling and saying, Jesus, son of God, you're son of David, could you please have mercy on us? Could you heal us? And, and Jesus says, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and talk to the priest. Now to us, that sounds like a really bizarre thing to do. It's like, why would you go talk to a priest if you're sick? But in that state, in that time, the priests were the ones who God had given the laws and the rules to be able to look at someone and decide whether they'd been healed or not, whether they're safe to be around or not. Because if you had leprosy, you couldn't live around other people. And so Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. And so these 10 people start going off to the priest. And while they're on the way, I don't know if they started to notice the change in the color of their skin. I don't know how severe their leprosy was, if they'd had digits that had fallen off that were healed. I don't know. But somewhere along the way, they realized they didn't have leprosy anymore. And an amazing thing happened. Of the 10 people who were healed, one of them came back to Jesus to say thank you. Now, when I was a kid and I would hear this story because I grew up in the church and heard Bible stories all the time and made to enact them and move them out and all that stuff, and there was things called flannel graph, which were really exciting. If you don't know what flannel graph is, you're missing out, really. But it was basically like little pictures that sort of stick on the cloth and you could move them. It was like, and Jesus went to town. Anyway, never mind. But I'd look at it and say, oh my goodness, see, I would be one of the thankful people. I would be the one who would make sure I go back. And I'd always think about how I would know because I know who Jesus is. But the reality is, I think maybe we should stop thinking about who's the person who's going to be thankful and realize that probably 90% of the time we all forget to be thankful. It's a challenge we all face. So the question I've got, and this is what I was thinking about, Dennis, like if I was going to come to you and say, after the crisis is averted, would you tell me that you don't really need God anymore? Like, which of us would say that? Like, no, none of us would say it. None of us would even think it. But sometimes our attitudes, we lose that urgency and sense of our need of God when the crisis is gone. 
So what should we do about that? Because we know God honors humility. And we know we're supposed to desire after God and his ways and recognize who he is. In fact, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So what are we supposed to do about that? Well, today, what I want to do is I want to talk to you about kind of an ancient practice we find in Scripture that helps attune us and remind us of our need of God. It's a practice we can do. And you may or may not know what it is, but I'll give you a hint. It's the opposite of the word slow. Thank you. It's a fast. Ha ha, Chad, you're so funny. It's not that we have to go fast, but it's the verb fast. The word fast, which means like to deprive yourself of something, often food. And then everybody says right before lunch, oh yes, this is exactly what I wanted to hear today. I want to take you through a couple Bible passages and I want to survey about the practice of fasting in Scripture and why it is something that helps us to remember our place before God well. I want to read a a short verse from Ezra chapter 8 verse 21. And this story is taken from the life of Ezra. And Ezra was a man who had set about to go and help rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Kind of go back and rebuild and put Jerusalem back together after it had been destroyed. And Ezra was getting ready to go on a dangerous journey. And it says, before they left, he says, There by the Ahava Canal... I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before God and ask him for a safe journey for us and for our children and all our possessions. Now, inside of this little passage, we see, in fact, in almost all the passages we look at today, you'll see these three things, what three things fasting does. And the first one is is that fasting is something that interrupts our routines. He says, I stopped and I declared a fast. I'm going to just tell you something. If you decide that I'm not going to eat my lunch today and devote my time to prayer instead, right about 11.45, if you're anything like me, your body will communicate with you. It'll say, hey, it's about 11.45, Chad. You know it's coming soon. And if at about 12.15, it'll start going like, it's like verbally communicating with me. Because it interrupts our routines. When we choose to give up food or abstain from something else, and we'll talk more about the abstinence part of this in a little bit longer, when we choose to give something up, it disrupts our routines and causes us to have to actually engage with what we're doing. I drive a a, a nice car now. I've got a little Nissan I like. It's it's pretty cool. We got it new a couple years ago. And it has cruise control on it. You know, cruise control? Do you know what that is if you're driving? When I was a kid, I remember when they kind of invented cruise control. It came out after fire. It was fire cruise control. But they had cruise control in these cars, and you just put it on, and it would just control the speed of your car. So you could go the same speed, and you could drive. Well, now, I've got this vehicle. I put it in cruise control, and it goes like, ding, and then, like, I can take my hands off the steering wheel. Like, I don't have to do anything. You shouldn't do that. Not that I've ever done that. Eventually, it'll ding at you. If you go long enough, it'll start slowing down on you. Not that I would know from personal experience <laughs> or curiosity. But, but we can be that way in life. There are many times I'm driving to town, and the other day, actually, I had to, what was it? I had, 
I had to take Zoe downtown because she had a dental appointment on Monday. I was driving to town and I was coming through and I come by, I come from Island View and with the Woodstock Road kind of forks to downtown and then up the hill and lo and behold, what did I do? I start driving up the hill because I was going to church. I, I work here, so I like, I go to church all the time. And it's like, hi, she has a dental appointment downtown and I'm halfway up the hill. It's, oh, wait a minute. This is not the right way. Cruise control in the head. We can do the same thing in our spiritual walk. But fasting is one of those ways that interrupts our routines, draws our, tells us to draw our attention back to something else, to the ways of God. Fasting is also a way to humble ourselves. When you fast, or when I fast, when you give up food, we suddenly recognize how frail and how mortal we are. You know, I become less cheerful when I'm hungry. Did you ever know that? That ever happened to you? Yeah, hangry. That's the word, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I realize that, you know, I am not as strong as I think I am. I am a very dependent, mortal creature that needs God's help and God's grace. And that's the third point. It recognizes the need of God. Ezra said, I'm going to declare a fast. I'm going to interrupt the routine. We're going to humble ourselves. We're going to recognize that we need God's help and then pray and seek into that. And I've thought a lot of these things about fasting before, but then there's something else I'd never really stopped to think about when it came to fasting. And it's part of where I want to spend a little bit of time this morning, and maybe it's new to you, and I'm going to read some passages, then I'll come back to it. But there's this, is that fasting is also something that can be done in community. Let me read a couple passages here. Joel chapter 2. Now, in the story of Joel, Israel was like under one of those oppressive bad moments in their history. Things were not going well for them. And the prophet Joel gets a message from God that he brings to the people, which is recorded in the book of Joel. A lot of those prophets, that's how they do it. It's the names of the people. Just a little tip for you. So Joel stands up and he says this. Even now declares to the Lord, declares the Lord. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Now, what that's about is that in those times when they'd expressed their grief for the sword of God, they'd ripped their shirt and, and you exposed their chest. I'm not going to do that today. Some of you are hopeful. Some of you are scared, but it's not going to happen either way. He says, rent your heart. Tear at your attitudes. Make sure your attitudes are right before me. I don't have all the words on the screen, but it says, Return to the Lord your God, for he's gracious, compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. He relents from sending, sending calamity. Who knows, he may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. And then I put this on the screen. It says, blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders. And then it continues. It says, gather the children, those nursing at the breast, let the bridegroom leave his It's like It says, gather everybody, gather together, let's get here together and let's fast. And we see this happen in other places in the Old Testament as well. You see, there's a the story of Jonah and the whale, famous story of Jonah and the whale. But part of that story is that God was sending Jonah to some people he didn't like called the Ninevites who were a wicked people. And Jonah had a message saying, you need to repent or, God, or just you need to, God's going to destroy you. Actually, it was the message. God's going to destroy you. And when they heard the message, they declared a fast as a community. 
And they prayed and they repented and God healed them. And Jonah was annoyed because he didn't like them. Interesting story. Short story, worth a read. Give it a shot sometime. It's found in the book of Jonah, named after the guy. See the pattern, I told you. Now, or there's another story. There's a guy named Jehoshaphat. And you can read his story in 2 Chronicles 20. And Israel is surrounded by their enemies and things are looking awful. And Jehoshaphat says, I'm going to proclaim a fast. Everyone fast and pray together. Let us all together humble ourselves before God. And God grants them peace and helps them in their situation. And it's not just an Old Testament thing. You'd say, well, those kind of attitudes, that's an Old Testament thing. No, Jesus talked about fasting. And in the book of Acts, we read that the church fasted together as well. In Acts 13, there's one story. It says, now in the church at Antioch, and it says in the middle of where I put the ellipsis that there were some prophets in that church. And it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting as a church, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they put their hands on them and sent them off. And there's a similar story in Acts 14, I won't read it now, about how they were wondering who they were going to put in leadership as elders, and they said they spent time fasting and praying, and then they devoted these people to that ministry. Now, here's what I want to say about all this. I want to remind us that there's something we don't talk about a lot, that fasting can be done in community. Every time I've taught about fasting, or I dare say most of the time I've heard about the topic of fasting, the... I've often thought about it as something I do myself. From a, and, and in Scripture, you can find cases where people fasted on their own. And that's fine and that's good. And often the model is Jesus spending 40 days in the desert. You can read this at the start of the Gospel of Matthew and at the start of the Gospel of Luke. You read about what Jesus encounter and Satan and there's a whole bunch of stuff. I can't get into it today. But I often thought about fasting as an individual practice, something I do by myself. And that's good. But I think my Western individualism caused me to realize and neglect that fasting is something that's often practiced in the space of a community. It's done together. In the same way that we know we should encourage one another, in the same way that we know we should pray for and pray with one another, in the same way we know we should love one another, I say that If you look at the story of Scripture when it comes to the practice of fasting, we are to humble ourselves together with one another. We know this. It says in Scripture that God honors a people that have a sense of unity in seeking after Him. One of the most beautiful little Psalms is just a few verses long. I got most of it on the screen for you now. It says Psalms 133. It says, how good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Depending on the translation you have, it might even say, there the Lord commands the blessing, even life forevermore. There's something really powerful when we come together in unity before God as a people and seek after him. And I think fasting is one of those practices that should be part of that. I bring part of this up as a way of putting context around the idea of a season that happens regularly in the life of the church all around the world called Lent. Now, I'm going to, somebody of you might come to me and say, hey, Chad, Lent is not a word that exists in the Bible. And I will tell you, this is true. 
Actually, do you know what, where the word Lent comes from? If you're in the first service, you can't say. I didn't know either. I had to look it up. Actually, Lent comes from an old Germanic or an old English word. It's kind of got roots that are similar. And you know what it refers to? It refers to something getting longer, as in length, lengthening. You say, what's that got to do with anything? But the idea was that Christians often would have a season of fasting before Easter, which in the Western northern world where the word Lent comes from happens in the spring when the days are getting longer. Isn't that clever? Learn something new. You can take that on Jeopardy and run with it. You'll do great. Um, But here's the point. The point isn't about the name of the title. The point is simply this, is that Christians for centuries have taken extra time before Easter to fast and pray. One of the early references we find to it was a letter written by a guy named Athanasius. in 329 AD, when he was sending around the dates for Easter, because, you know, the calendars weren't quite like ours, you couldn't go to the store and buy a calendar, so he had, he'd, they had to do the stuff and figure out when Easter was supposed to be, and it still mystifies me how all that works out. But he said that in those days, there would be people who would take the 40 days before Easter and have special fasting and prayer on the lead up to Easter. And that's where the origin of the Christian tradition came from. The, for years before that, that had been happening, and this is one of the early recorded incidents we have it. Since the early 300s, Christians have done this. And Lent is a season that begins before Easter as a time of fasting and prayer. And so one of those things that we want to encourage you to consider in your own walk as a way of reminding ourselves of our need for God when we're not in crisis or even in light of a crisis would be to fast during the season of Lent. Now, if you're new to Lent, I'm going to just explain really basically as much as I can in a short period of time about it. We'll put more info on the web in the next week or so. But it begins by choosing to give up something. Fasting means to give up. Traditionally, it's food. Often people will, uh, in some churches, like in the Eastern Orthodox Church, people actually give up all meat and animal products leading up to Lent. Now, I'm not saying you have to be Eastern Orthodox, but that's what they do. Some people choose to give up chocolate for Lent. Actually, I was in my 30s when I realized why suddenly they sold chocolate Easter bunnies at Easter, because all the chocoholics are going nuts after 40 days with no chocolate. It's like, oh yeah, that's why they do that. See, I wasn't raised in a liturgical church. Maybe you weren't either. That's fine. Um, But the point is we choose to give something up or we remove an activity from our life. But here's the thing I would say about that. Any one of these things can become like a religious rote thing that has no meaning whatsoever. It's like, yeah, I give up chocolate for Lent. Yep, whatever. No big deal. If, if that's where we're missing the point, because the goal is not just about abstaining something. It's about saying yes to something else. The goal in saying, I'm going to take this off my plate is to say, I want to give my yes to God. I want to give my attention to God. So that when you get to the dinner table and maybe you've chosen to give up, no, Nathaniel, you cannot give up beans for Lent. But maybe you've chosen to to give up steak. I don't know. It's up to you what you do. That when you look at your plate and there is no steak, and someone's given you that thin piece of chicken breast, you will cry out in your heart to the Lord. (laughs) But no, the point is you'll say, you know what, God, I want you more than I wanted that. 
you're more valuable to me than a piece of chocolate. You're more valuable to me than my lunch. You're more valuable to me than gravy. I, I don't know. I, I'm making these things up as I go. But you get my point. The point isn't about saying no to this. Just choosing to say no, like, big deal. But it's about saying yes to God. Maybe you need to think how you can say no to an activity. I, I don't share this to boast, but I'm just telling you, I've, I said, you know, if I'm going to talk to the church about Lent and fasting, like, where am I at in all this? You may remember two weeks ago I talked to you about how I'm a bit of a news hound. I like the news, the websites, I check the news so much. What God's been stirring on my heart is like, maybe I need to not read the news for 40 days. Like, how will the world continue? I don't know. <laughs> but maybe instead of putting those words in front of my eyes, maybe I need to put extra time with his words in front of my eyes. And that's my thing. I just should... I'm prayerfully discerning that, but I'll probably have to end up deleting some apps when I go home before Ash Wednesday. But what is it? Because the goal isn't about depriving. It's about where do I need to say yes to God? What are the things God is calling me to? What are the things he's put on my heart? Where are the places where I have neglected things? And how can I remove something to draw my attention to that? So I'd encourage you, prayerfully say, where is the yes that I want to give to God that the appropriate response would be to be a no? Now, I will say this. Fasting traditionally does involve food, and I'd encourage you to remove something from your diet because there's something very primal about the experience of removing food, very physical, tangible about it. And I think in a culture that values indulgence and quick eating and comfort eating and lives in a world of surplus, taking some of that away reminds us of our humanness and our dependence on God. The other thing I'd want to say is this, is it's not just about giving something up. Throughout Scripture, when we look at fasting, it is about prayer and fasting. You know what? There are all kinds of people around you that do fasting for other purposes. You know, I, I don't know about you, I don't know if Instagram's seen a picture of me or Facebook's seen a picture of me, but I've never seen so many ads for intermittent fasting in my life. Uh, anyone else or is it just me? Yeah, a few of you. Okay. It's, and if you don't know, intermittent fasting is like, I will choose not to eat today, but I'll eat tomorrow. Or I'll choose to eat two meals a day instead of three because then I can lose weight and look amazing. It's like, obviously, I do not intermittent fast a whole lot. You know, it's just where it's at. But... This, the point of this is not about a weight loss routine. The point, is, the point about this is saying, if I'm going to remove something from my life, I want, when I experience that pang or desire for something else, I want to turn my attention to prayer and I want to turn my attention to God and seeking His will and His purpose for my life and for my community. And the season of Lent is a traditionally a time when people gather in a special way to pray and seek God together. And I think that together part is really important. In fact, as a church, we're already making a plan. We have this thing that we do sometimes where we call a special season of prayer and fasting together as a church. And this year, we're going to be doing it right around Easter weekend. On Monday, Thursday, we're going to have a special communion service. Mark your calendar. This is really good. We're going to have a special communion service, remembering the night that Jesus broke bread that first time with his disciples and administered communion. And then we're going to have the church open all night long and into the next day, all the way to the Good Friday service, where people can come and choose to pray. We'll have stations and things here. 
where we can fast and pray and seek God together. We can unify together because we don't want to just walk through the Lenten season to say, yeah, I didn't eat chocolate. I say, no, I sought the face of God and we did it together. Now, just a couple little things I want to say about what fasting is not. Little warnings kind of come from Jesus, one of them. The first one is fasting is not an opportunity to show off how spiritual you are, to be proud or to boast. Have you ever met a person who talks to you about their prayer life, talks about their fasting, and is like, why, how would I put it? You know, I'm fasting. I've only had broth for five days, and on the sixth day, I had half a cup of broth. Wow. The Lord and I, we were... Jesus says something about trying to show off what you're doing. He says it very clearly. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. They disfigure their faces to show their fasting. Oh, I'm sorry, I feel weak today. I'm fasting. It's okay. It's just God will see me through. Jesus says, truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head. Wash your face so it will not be obvious to others you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I'll put it very frankly. If you boast about your fasting or about your prayer life or about your giving, Jesus talks about all three of those things in this passage. To get the attention of others, the attention of others is all you're going to get out of it. Don't expect God to bless it. Don't expect God to honor it. If you're doing it for other people to look at you, well, they looked at you. I want more than people to look at me. I hope you do too. I know you do too. That's what we have to pay attention. One, it's not an opportunity to show or feel proud or boast. It's an opportunity to lower ourselves, to humble ourselves and show God we are dependent upon him. Secondly, and this is one I also want to share, fasting is not a way to control God. There's a passage in Isaiah 58. The children of Israel, they they were fasting. And then they kind of complained to God. They said, hey, we fasted, and have you not seen it? We've humbled ourselves, and you've not noticed? And then God replies, Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. What what the Lord was saying to the people in this point was like, you can choose to remove all the food you want from your plate. But if you think, and it seems like this is what they're saying. It's like, hey, things aren't going well for us, so we fasted. Why aren't you showing up and listening and, and doing what we ask of you? I hate to break it to you. God is not impressed by you not eating a bag of chips. Lays, you can't eat just one. God's like, whoa, whoa, that's amazing. They didn't eat chips. I better, I have to answer their prayer now. They didn't eat chips. Now, as ridiculous as that sounds, and I'm using a bit of hyperbole, 
I have encountered people, and sometimes out of desperation, thinking, if I only fast long enough, God will answer my prayer. And I hate to break it to you, that's manipulation. And God doesn't run with that. All of our prayers end with your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Bible has a term that it uses when it talks about trying to control God by our own power. It's called magic. And it's forbidden. It's sin. There is but one Lord. There is but one Savior. There is but one Sovereign. That's not to say in our attitude of humility that God doesn't recognize us humbling ourselves before Him. But if we think that we can strong-arm God into doing what we want by prayer or by fasting or by anything else, we're mistaken. But when fasting is done right, with the right attitude, it attunes us to the heart of God. In the same passage in Isaiah 58, right after God kind of talks to the children of Israel who are saying, hey, why are you not listening when we fast? He goes on to say this. He says, the words of the Lord, is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. See, the kind of fast that God calls for is not just about abstinence. It calls us to God's heart. And we see that in the other places. When people humbled themselves and they said, God, we want your direction for where we're going to go. When the early church had a season of fasting and prayer and God directed them as to where their next mission point would be or who the next leader might be, all these things, as we fast, as we say, God, I want to humble myself before you, when we do it right, not trying to force God into anything or not trying to show off, but in recognizing our frailty. Because fasting is just about that. It's about bringing ourselves to a place of humility either during or even when we're not in crisis, to remember that we are but dust and we need God's help. And that's, that's when we open ourselves in humility to experiencing God's gracious action. And that's what I want for us this year at Lent. Now, you might talk to me say, Chad, as I said, I wasn't raised in a liturgical church. I don't know about this Lent stuff. Well, drop the terms, and there's little traditions around Lent, like you don't have to fast on Sunday because it's like a mini Easter, and you never want to fast on the Lord's Day because we celebrate. But, but put all that stuff aside, the technicalities and the little things that some people do and other people don't. At the end of the day, the Bible clearly shows us that fasting is a practice that is often done together by people who want to see God act midst. Why wouldn't we do that? Why wouldn't we? Don't we want to experience a little more of what God's got for us? Don't we want to dig a little deeper? I want to show you something. We've been doing a, a lesson on prayer upstairs with a kids program. I stole this from them. They're not having it this morning. 
what they've done is uh, every week they give the kids a different strand of cloth. And on the strands of cloth, they've been talking about prayer. And each kid will write a prayer, something they're praying for that week on a strand of cloth. And then my wife, half cursing a sewing machine on Saturday nights, uh, weaves them together. So the blue ones are week one, and the green ones are week two, and we're down to purple and pink. Today they're talking about Pentecost, and they're doing orange. And so every week, all the prayer requests of our kids are getting woven together in this tapestry. Now, it's not going to go in the Louvre or anything, but isn't something beautiful about that? Woven together. Humble prayers. See, this is a picture of what fasting and prayer can look like together. And all of us can come and hold our own individual strands and bring them to God, and, and, and we do and we should, and I think that's good, but how good and how beautiful it is when God's people dwell together in unity. When we bring our needs before Him, when we humble ourselves before Him together and ask for His grace and His help. You know, I was actually already at the church this morning when uh, I remembered something. I, I dare say maybe the Lord put it on my heart. Um, I'd already written the sermon. I'd already printed up my notes. I'd already sent the pictures up to the people upstairs. And I, I remembered the very bottom part of the passage I started with in James. Remember that one I started with? Let he was in trouble. I'm going to go back here because memory's not like what it is. Is anyone in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them rejoice. And then I remembered what the very next verse was. I had to scramble to get it up there for us to read now. It says, Is anyone sick? Let them call the elders of the church and pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We've been doing this whole series on communion, communion with God, communion with each other. We've talked about how we're to be a people that care and love for each other. We're about people that join our prayers with the intercession of Christ in heaven and experience the aid of Christ of God in our lives, a people that pray with and not just pray for, a people that are woven together. So here's what I want to say to you today. I want to say two things. First, I want you to take time to prayerfully consider how you could join with us in fasting and prayer this Lent. Lent starts on Ash Wednesday, which just happens to be Valentine's Day. That means you might start abstaining from chocolate after supper this year. I don't know. Figure that. That's between you and God. But, but say, what is it that, where do I need to say a yes? And what do I do, need to do to, to be a no so I can make room for another yes to God? To open myself, to humble myself, to 
realize, to remind myself, even if I'm not in crisis, that I actually am dependent, that I am mortal, that I am weak, that I am so dependent on what God has done for me, even when I don't consciously see it with my eyes. That's a fasting it is. It's a reminder to do that. And you know what? Maybe if, if you don't live alone, you get some family or a roommate, or if you have kids, start talking a little bit about what that could look like. In fact, next week, we have Lent kits that are going to go home with our next-gen kids, things that you can do with them. And Because they might, if they're really little, they're not going to get the idea about why I can't eat chocolate for 40 days. Like, Good luck with you, maybe. I don't know. But there are things we can do about confession and prayer and even the fast that God calls us to and being generous to those in need. They're all things and we've got activities to help you to have discussions with your kids. But consider, what is it you're going to do? But then the other thing I want to end with today as you prayerfully consider how you can join with us in this season of fasting is I want to remind us that the goal is not the fast. The goal is to love God and love his people better. Fasting is a, there'll be no merit badges in heaven for fasting. There won't be. You know, it's not like Boy Scouts. It's like fasting, 40 days. I only did a week. The goal is that we grow in our love for God and our dependence on him and our care for each other. As we close today, I felt that passage came to my heart about how we're supposed to pray for each other. And here's what I'd like us to do. I'm going to tell you what we're going to do, and then we're going to do it. In just a moment, I'm going to get everyone to stand. And if you're here today and you say, I really need prayer. I want us to pray for each other like this. So I'm going to ask you to stand and put up your hand. I'll get you all stands. People, maybe you can hide in the crowd a little bit. Just poke your hand up. And then I'm going to ask people who are around you that might know you, or, or maybe if you're new here, there'll be somebody here who'll just come and they'll simply put a hand on your shoulder. And if you want to tell them what you're asking for prayer for, you can tell them if you feel uncomfortable and say, I'd just like somebody to pray for me, then we'll pray for each other. That's what we'll do. But the other thing is, if you're here and you're sick, you need physical healing. But Jesus in his word gives us these promises that we can lay hands on the sick and, and they get healed. Sometimes we've got to pray again. Sometimes it happens right away. But I want to dare enough to try and ask God that he would do something great like that. So today, I believe as we wrap up, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take that time where we're going to pray together. So I'm going to ask you all to stand just like I said we would. And in the passage, it says the elders of the church, some of the people who are here just serving communion a minute ago, I'm going to ask them to come forward. And we're going to pray for those who are sick. And they're going to pair up in teams of two and go around and pray with you. And that might take a while, but that's okay. So, but before I do that, is anyone here say, I would like someone to come and pray with me. I've got something I need, I need prayer for this morning. Could you put up your hand? I see someone right here. Stick it right up. I'm going to make sure someone comes to you. Bill needs prayer over here. Someone over there needs prayer. I see, sometimes you can't see it. Someone over here needs prayer. Someone, you see these hands? Church, right now, we don't need to wait. This is, this is a team sport. We're going to pray for each other. You start going to people who have their hands up. Take, lift your eyes and look. And it, if you need physical healing today, I would like you to come to the front right now and our elders are going to get ready to pray for you as they dismiss us in prayer today. So who needs physical healing today? I see someone right here. Come on. Someone right there. We're going to just... 
The Bible says to anoint with oil. We're going to put a little oil on your forehead and we're going to pray for you if you need healing. For you or maybe for someone else. You come forward right now. Anybody need prayer for healing? We had like seven people first service. I'm sure there's someone else here today. All right. I'm going to pray right now. It's not too late. Make sure everyone's get with a hand up as somebody beside them praying. Lord Jesus, this right now, we just come before you and we pray. God, may we be woven together like this tapestry, God. Woven together in prayer. Woven together in humility. Woven together in seeking your will. Woven together as a church in seeking your purposes and your timing, Lord God. And Lord God, we just stand with those people who are praying with those who put their hands up right now. And as they continue to pray for each other, God, may you meet people there today. May you help them, God. God, we just pray for those people who are coming forward, who are asking for prayer for sickness right now and healing, Lord God. We just pray in Jesus' name that, God, that we'd see miracles of healing today in your name, Lord. And Father, as we come towards Lent, as we come towards that season when Christians all over the world have chosen to fast, God, may we not just do a religious thing, but may we find time to humble ourselves and seek you again today. May we experience your grace. I pray in Jesus' name. We're so glad that you've joined us. You know, you are part of something bigger and we want to invite you to get involved, to really be part of the team. You can help make ministry happen either by volunteering or by financially partnering with us. If you'd like to give, you can head over to ssc.church slash give and you can even sign up for automatic withdrawals so that you know that your money is consistently making a difference and you are inspiring others to follow Jesus. Why not start today? Head on over to ssc.church slash give and sign up today. Thank you so much for joining us. God bless you in the week to come.